Hey everybody, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started, I just want to encourage you to go listen to the most recent episode on um, on the most recent Sunday edition, certainly, on that's all about how people are starting to notice the themes of the anime industry, and by themes I mean the cracks, and how the anime industry does not pay a whole lot of people who produce the content we love so dearly very well and also definitely go check out my um what my like over one hour episode all about the new hbo show tokyo vice there are more episodes out of tokyo vice as i as i talk to you right now probably way more considering that this comes out on thursday <laughs> Um, and that's when, like, I think they put out two episodes a week, but anyway, um, definitely go check that out. People seem to like it. Hope you will too, if you haven't heard it. Um, and definitely go check out that book. If that thing in any way interests you, definitely read that book if you haven't. It's fucking fantastic. Um, but without further ado, I want to get into what we're talking about this week. And that's a little show called... Abunabashi Magical Shopping Arcade. Now, there's a little movie out right now called Everything Everywhere All at Once. In the multiverse, you can live up to your ultimate potential. What's happening? You discovered a way to temporarily link your consciousness to another version of yourself. Accessing all of the memories and skills. It's called verse jumping. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. It's crazy! You're starting to get it. 
And that movie is essentially a... Not of... Certainly not a, an exact copy of Abu Nabashi, but it has a lot in common with it. It's not really what inspired me to do this. I was actually... Um, with my new with my new um, in-house studio setup, I can do a lot of things that I used to do, like set up my collection from the dark days and like access it again and watch it with a good enough bit rate to actually watch stuff from my own personal collection from the dark days when I sailed the high seas in college. Um, but and Abinabashi is among those. I I have like. Abu Nabachi disc form to some extent also, but I just got curious about it when I was in college, so I like went and found it, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, don't worry, I don't feel bad, and you shouldn't feel bad about me um, taking anything from Gynax, because Gynax has since turned into an absolute piece of shit. Um, it's true, it's like... Hideki Anno out there in the, Je in the Japan business times... Like fucking dragging them through the mud because they're they're gold diggers, yo. It's bad. Um, they are a husk. But once upon a time, when they did make when they did make shows, they made a handful of shows, and probably the not that any of their show, not that any of Gynax's shows are lesser known because once they once they made the thing, once they made Ava, tons of people went to them to see thoughtful nerds do thoughtful nerd things and they did get into a rut and if I had to liken Abinabashi to anything it would probably be most like an extended version of something like FLCL but it differs from FLCL in a bunch of key ways so let's let's break down what Abinabashi is about and then we'll get to what it, um, what it, what the show is doing, because I think what the show is doing ends up being predictable, but still interesting for a bunch of different reasons. So the show follows, um, Army Asahina and, 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 and Satoshi. Imaya, um, through kind of this, like, universe jumping where they jump through versions of their, of their own hometown, which is the shopping arcade of Abinabashi. Now, if you're not familiar with what a shopping arcade is, arcade is really not just a term that's limited to gaming arcades, but that's what became what people know arcades as. Arcades are like a big collection of shops or entertainment spaces or kind of anything. So, like, when you say shopping arcade, it's this, like, big shopping... Abinabashi is a big... Kyoto Entertainment and Shopping Arcade, and it is a real place. There's a place. There's a section of Japan in Kyoto called Abino, and the Abinobashi Shopping Arcade, as it's become known probably because of this show, is a real place. And they, at the ending of this show, 
is um, a, which you'll hear the theme song for by the end of this podcast, at the end of the podcast, is a kind of photo tour through old Abino before it was modernized, before it was bulldozed and redeveloped. Because one of the big things, one of the big... Um, such, like pressures in Japan is this constant redeveloping and reshaping of Japan into like a different thing. There and actually, interestingly, um, Hideki Anno highlights this as a like as a strength of Japan in the movie Shin Godzilla, and he t- he called I think he talks about it as like construct like. Destruction into reconstruction. That's a constant cycle that takes place in um in in Japan that's like a constant cycle. It's not necessarily a good or a bad cycle. It has goods and bads, but it is ever present. And in the case of Avinavashi, Avinavashi is being paved over basically. And reconstructed as a different thing. And as a result, you know, Sashi, um, who is the, who are main, who is the abbreviation of our main character, Sashi and his family have moved out of their family business, which was a bathhouse called the, called the Turtle Bath. And something they do that I kind of get but I kind of don't get, and they do it for a really specific reason, is that Japan, like every country, but like we would know in America, like America had different dialects in different areas. So to kind of make up for a Kyoto dialect, they do what's often done to make up for a... um, There's another dialect that they do this with. They kind of give everybody kind of a southern twang. And that lets you know, that lets you, the American viewer, know, I watched the dub version of this, that you are not, you're specifically not in Tokyo. And they have a character who's from Tokyo um, in Mr. Kohei, who is, who does not have that dialect very specifically. To like let you know, like, oh, Mr. Kohei is from Tokyo. That's why he's kind of an asshole to everybody. <laughs> um, but the most of the cast had the southern twang, and so the you're kind of introduced to this town that is very much in flux. It is cha- it is in the very beginning stages of being gentrified, essentially from one state into a completely other state. And you meet people along the way who have various opinions about this. Like, um, uh, what's his face? Um, Masabo, Army's, Army's grandfather, is like this old Japanese guy who, who runs a cafe, who runs like a French-themed cafe in Abunobashi. It's like really out of the way. It seems really out of the way when you see it. Um, and he's really frustrated by it. You see, you see much of 
Sashi's family has like opinions about what they want out of the new Abino, out of the new Abinobashi like developments. Like his mom wants a new grocery store. His older sister, who's like maybe like seventeen, wants like cooler shops and cooler places just around the area because she's seventeen, and of course she would. And they've like they've clearly moved from what you would assume was a big older residence to a much more cramped um confined condo like um condo situation and Sashi's struggling with all this because the world he always knew since he was born is changing and it's difficult and it's like he's also at the like middle school age where he can't we're, like he's like everything's starting to change constantly and like hormones are going and like he's also a massive nerd because once again this is a Gynax show and if if you don't know what Gynax's deal is Gynax's deal is not really the Ava thing Gynax is very much the company it is described to be in things like Otaku no Video. It is like the group of nerds who figured out how to make the stuff they love. The Gynax gave birth to the studio that to Studio Trigger, which is also a group of nerds that make stuff they love. Gynax gave nerd gave birth to the guys who get who gave us um, Gurren Lagann, which is very much like a saying about giant robot things. And they also gave us Abinobashi, which is this kind of love letter slash coping with the like nerddoms that you love as a kid. And it off, but it also serves as this story about someone that the entire cast tells you is really immature in Sashi. And the truth is, he's not really that immature. He's, he is the kind of person that society, especially Japanese society at the time this was released, and probably still now, does not What's the best word for it? Does not have much have much to do with. So I'm probably I'm probably gonna do my next Sunday edition, which will come in the Sunday after the Sunday of this week. the The next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. Um, there was a, another article about the um guy who um unofficially married. Hatsune Miku, like, went out and, like, did that. And everybody looks at this guy like he's insane. And everybody looks at the, like, cohort of his in Japan who are getting married to fictional characters as if they're crazy. But when you stop and look at him specifically, what he's doing after he's done that is he's going to law school to, you know, ultimately defend people 
people in minority groups and his experience as being somebody who is unlike his peers and unlike even the people around him, he just decided that like, okay, this is what I need to do. It drove him to a better place. And ultimately with Sashi, that's what you see in this show is it drives him to a better place. It drives him to a version of becoming whatever he is next. And it drives him to grow in a way where he's still the, he's still the same person, but he's not as childish about it. He understands what he wants in a way that he didn't at the beginning of the show. He has character growth. Whereas, and I, I understand that part of this is because it's a, it's a Gynax show and Gynax makes shows about prepubescent young boys growing up and prepubescent nerd boys growing up. And it's a very, those are like very specific fucking things. Um, unless you're, unless you're Hideki Yanolage, and then you just make sad people shit. <laughs> you don't only make sad people shit, but it's a, it's a, it's a lot of what you make. And you make giant, you make giant robot, giant monster shit too. Also, key point. Um, but where this show gets most interesting is when they finally start to deal with the kind of platonic relationship of Army and Sashi. Because the, you drop in to this show with kind of in media res in the show's version of media res with Sashi and Army talking about the whole neighborhood changing. And Army says there was another super big thing that was decided, super shocking big thing that was decided while you were away at camp. And that super big thing is Army is moving away. And Army is moving away because the Pelican's going, her family restaurant, the Pelican, is going to get sold. And her dad, and this is really important because in this show, by the end of it, you start to realize that like all the decisions made by adults are weighing on the younger cast member, all the younger cast members of this show. And that includes like to an extent that includes our, that certainly includes army Sashi, but also you kind of see it include Sashi's older sister, um, Sayaka. And you see that include Mune Mune, who is the like young sex bomb version of, Sashi's grandfather of Sashi's grandmother but the long and short of it is is that all the like you see this like in the beginning of the show and throughout the show later and especially in the later episodes you see the all these adults you you never meet or in some cases adults you do meet and kind of in the form of Sashi of um, Army's dad, who who took this job with a with a resort in Hokkaido and is moving his entire his 
basically forcing his entire family to move to Hokkaido so he can pursue his dream, um, has this outside effect on everyone. But Army's response is this line that is said throughout the entire show, and it's this, home is where you live. And I'm doing the twang because I can't help myself. Being human, having your health, that's the most important things. And in the beginning of the show, and not really up until maybe the last third of the show, Army never acknowledges the, the elephant in the room. The fact that the boy she's known since she could know humans and her are not going to see each other maybe ever again after this summer. And Sashi very clearly bothered by this. And then there's an event that... There's, there's a near-tragic event that happens. And that is that in a fit of frustration, Masabo trying to get a cat trying to get a cat off of the sacred bird spirit which is this pelican thing that sits on top of their restaurant um and he almost falls to his death he gets caught on like the air conditioning wiring and it's saved but he almost falls to his death and after he but he's still in he's still pretty badly injured and after he's in the hospital Army is kind of coming to terms with what just happened, with the fact that, like, her grandpa, who she loves, almost died. But also that there was a small chance, as long as grandpa was putting up a fight, she might be able to get to stay with her best friend. And now that is totally off the table. And then all at once, reality kind of snaps. It's a great... It's a really great scene. It's a really great transition because it's like no transition, but also a slightly insane transition. And that is that all of a sudden in the background, you see these old got these old people doing tai chi, tai chi in front of a shrine. And all of a sudden, these old people doing tai chi in front of a shrine turn into mushrooms, turn into giant hopping mushrooms. And it just takes off from there. And they go through all these worlds that are different versions of nerd fandom. So they go through a... They go through the first world of Thor and Sorcery world. The second world is a space adventure giant robot Super Sentai world. Where they're like on a space colony fighting monsters. Um, the third world, I think is I forget necessarily what all the worlds are but all the worlds are different nerddoms and they get they get increasingly more bizarre increasingly more specific um there is a world that is straight up patterned after the popular cult dating game Tokyo Tokimeki Memorial the Tokimeki Memorial games which you can go see um What's his face? Um, the guy from X. The guy from um, from I think it's called Run Button. Um, to, like that's his first video. Um, but he's he's 
fucking fabulous. I wish you could remember his name. Um, but all these different worlds seem increasingly patterned after things Sashi likes. And by world, I think it's world six. They are also, they're also encountering, there's also, they're encountering everybody from their lives in different roles in these worlds. So, like, they always encounter Masabo's grand, like, Masabo, Arami's grandfather. They always encounter um, Sayaka. They always encounter um, Arami's father. They always encounter different people from their, uh, they always encounter Misaki, who, Misaki is where this show feels dated, I will give, I will say. If you've seen it before, you know why. Misaki is very clearly, at the very least, a cross-dresser, probably trans, and is not the best representation. But also, there's like a refreshing thing when you first encounter them. Like, Misaki is going all the way. But like, the kids are used to her. The kids grew up around her. So they're like, they don't, they don't acknowledge the fact that she is probably a man who is cross-dressing, or at the very least, like, trans in some way. They, like, call her Miss Saki. They accept it. It's kind of cool, honestly. It's kind of cool in a way that, like, you're like, oh, this could be bad, but also right on, I guess? Um, you do you, Miss Saki. It seems fine. But they're encountering all these all these people, so like every world, all the major characters are played by people in their lives. So either Saki's family, so either um Army's family or Sashi's family are like the main characters. But the two characters who you see in every world in that you don't see in the world that that, that exist that exists otherwise. You see a character who, um, who they call the blue-haired mister, who ends up being named, um, who ends up being named Yudith, and who's actually, um, the, like, the Amio mystic, um, Abino, Abino um, by the end of the show, and you see this character named Mune Mune, and Mune Mune is like the quintessential mascot character. If you read, if you look her up, if you type in Mune Mune Abinobashi in, um, in Google and hit images, A, God bless you, B, and, and like, that's not to be done to school kids for reasons, but like, you've probably seen her if you've seen anything from the early off era of anime. Like, she's, she was a big mascot character. She's got red hair, glasses, huge boobs. It's a thing. Um, but what... Mune Mune and, and Yudis are in every world. And they are... They are the one guiding light of these worlds. Because eventually there comes a point when... They get to a world that feels normal. That feel... Like... They get to a world that feels normal... But they see Mune Mune there, and they're like, fuck! And, and um, Army specifically is like, Mune Mune's here, what the fuck? This isn't our real home either. And the reason why she had that moment there is because 
It turns out that Sashi is misdirecting them. That Sashi is shooting them all over these worlds. At, at first, Sashi, and Sashi was the reason that he shot, that they shot into the first sword and sorcery world. And the reason for that is, is that, there actually there's two reasons. Pri primarily, that he doesn't want to say goodbye to his best friend. So, like, he manifested, seriously, manifested a way through fucking religious magic, basically. Religious science magic to, like, just keep having a great time with his friend. Whereas the, and the kind of existence of Judas and Mune Mune in both, in all of these worlds proves that they're not the real deal. Proves that they're fake. They're not their homes. If, if they don't figure that out when they're in the, like, old-timey gangster movie world, or when they're in the, you know, Super Sentai space robot adventure world, or when they're in the dinosaur caveman world. And all of these are also, like, very clear, like, all these episodes are filled with very clear references to nerd shit. Like, there's a... And they're all filled with very clear references to... To like anime history and Gainax history to the point at which the show is just for no reason animated like it's, a, like it's an extra episode of Dead Leaves. Shit's wild for this whole show. It's a lot of fun to watch actually. But the reason why Sashi isn't, the other reason why Sashi isn't, um, letting the, isn't, bringing Arimi back to the real world is more important and it's more mature than anyone gives him credit for because anyone gives him credit for because most people don't realize it. And that is, and you find this out by I think like episode maybe 9, 10, you find out that Arimi's grandfather, Masibo, really died in the real world. And they have a whole bunch of mumbo-jumbo about, you know, Arami, about Masabo, Yudis, Mune Mune, who ends up being actually, um, um, Sashi's gran grandma, and Yudis ends up being Sashi's grandfather in, like, a convoluted love triangle thing that involved Masabo and all this other stuff. And... The long and short of it is that in order to protect Army from her own grandfather's death, Sashi was like, and also to like spend time with the girl he likes, Sashi is sending them to all these worlds. And it doesn't take long for Army to like figure it out, to figure out that like Sashi's making himself an amusement park ride. And at one point, once she does, Sashi tries to make her an amusement park ride. And when she asks, like, why would you think I'd like this? He gives, he, like, the reason he gives is, like, it's like an awe, it's like a quiet awe moment. It, it's that she wanted to do, to play Cinderella for, like, last year's drama class. 
and she didn't get to do it. She got outvoted. So he attempted to make it for her. He fucked up, but he tried. And it's just like, aw, he listens. <laughs> Moment. And they're just... There's this refreshing thing uh, that Gynax is capable of doing that I think a lot of people, that a lot of stuff is capable, a lot of studios are capable of doing, they just don't because it doesn't always sell well. And that is, they give you the, like, protagonist character, but they all but refuse to make the... the wish-fulfillment fantasy all-empowering. So if you look at something like, say, Sword Art Online, the wish-fulfillment fantasy in Sword Art Online is that you are Kirino. And you are Kirino, or eventually, you are, if you are a female character, you are either dead or Athena. <laughs> or both. Um, But, like, by the time... By the time they get to the end of um, the, like, most recent, like, arc of Sword Art Online, Kirino is in a coma somewhere. <laughs> and Asuna is the one kicking ass. The entire female cast is the one taking care of business. There are very few male characters in that, aside from Kirino, with any, do anything of, with any quality or ability. Certainly not Klein. Couldn't be Klein. But in a show like Abinobashi, they're taking you through all of these fantasy worlds that are fantasies for nerds and, like, fun for, like, me to hang out in. And, like, the gangster world starts with this shot that is very clearly meant to be a JoJo's reference. The, like, the war world they come up with, they just pile all the war shit in there and let it spin and it's fun. And... He's, but he's using what he has to protect the girl he likes from something he knows will crush her. From something he knows is devastating. On top of the fact that, like, that devastating thing will cause her to have to move away. And is devastating for, and that is devasta more devastating for her than clearly she's saying. It's clearly she even realizes and then by, like, episode, around the same time you find that out, you start to see ARMY change a little bit. Really, in the Tokimeki Memorial World, you start to, they do this, they do a thing where ARM, where all of a sudden, once ARMY, once it's clear that ARMY, to ARMY, that Sashi is making these worlds himself, making these versions of, of the, of Abanabashi himself. She gets kind of immediately dumped on by the Tokimeki Memorial dating sim world. And fucks it up and like fucks off and is pissed and becomes the like the like virgin the like thing that doesn't belong in these worlds, which is always represented as a goblin. And she Get just gets her ass kicked for like a solid episode and a half. And she starts to say things she hadn't been saying out loud before. 
she starts to like ask Sasha, like straight up ask Sasha, like, can we go home now? She starts to say, like, I've had fun in these things. As ridiculous as they are, I've had a ton of fun. But I want to go home now. Can we go home now? And she starts to also say, like, it's not like I'm not going to come back and visit. Of course I am. I would never not come back and see you. I would never abandon you like that. I would never leave permanently. She starts to ask things of Sashi, like, is this all you want for yourself? Do you just want to keep living in this nonsense forever? Do you never want to leave Abinobachi? Like, I love, and she admits, like, I love Abinobachi. I'm excited to go see a new place, but I love this place I grew up in. Of course I do. And there's this moment there that is really, is really interesting that's never, that should be asked of female characters because the full fleshing out of female characters that is just not done. And that is an honesty of the two-sidedness of relationships. Of if your best friend moves away, what's the responsibility on both ends? So, a perfect example. Um, my birthday was recently. And also, my friend Kie's birthday was recently. Kie left to go back to Japan as a result of the pandemic and New York turning New York City turning into a shithole and all that junk. And she was staying here legally. So she can't come back for at least a decade or longer. And the first thing, once that became the decision she was going to make, the our first thing we asked each other was, how do we keep talking? How do we keep in touch? How do we stay a part of each other's lives constantly? And we've done that on both ends. But in this scenario, in the scenario of this show, Sashi was worried about that because this was the first time that ever happened to him. And it was the first time that this has ever happened to Army, too. But when you're a kid, you don't know what to do about it and oftentimes you don't have the authority to just say fuck you dad i'm not moving i'm gonna you know stay with another friend and keep going to school and keep having my friends and keep having my life and the end of the show resolves all this in a really neat and tidy bow but the last third of the show as much as it is Sashi, like, coming to terms with the fact that, like, I'm gonna have to, like, dump all, dump her grandfather's death on my, on my, and the show at one point just calls Army his girlfriend, on my girlfriend, and, and she's gonna have to deal with it, and there's nothing I can do to protect her. And they make all of this huge forward movement. And, you know, ARMY becomes, like, we, ARMY becomes pretty aware of Sashi's feelings, even though Sashi can't really vocalize them very well. And she becomes really accepting of them in a way, in a way that would have happened at a much slower pace, if at all, 
if this whole thing hadn't happened to begin with. And it becomes this, like, it becomes gross on both sides. Because the thing I haven't really mentioned until now is that the whole show kind of regards all the characters in the original Abino, Abino Bashi shopping arcade kind of regards Army of, and Sashi as like a unit. But they regard Sashi as a kid and they regard Army as like the one clearly running the show and in charge. And, but Army has these very young preteen girl tomboyish things to her. She when they're in the Tokimeki Memorial version of the shopping arcade, the whole thing kind of makes her sick to her stomach. It's and even more so because it's the it's all targeted and designed by the boy she clearly likes. Or she, and I'm not saying necessarily likes, like loves, but likes like a friend. And this is a saying that lots of people forget. Uh, I think a lot of people know, but forget about romantic relationships. And it's best summed up by this phrase. And that is that love is friendship on fire. That if you're not. And that's meant to say, if you're not friends with the person who you're in love with, you're not really in love with them. You might be infatuated with them, you might be in lust with them, but you're not, you don't really love them. Because you don't really, that kind of love doesn't stand the test of time. It doesn't, um, let me put it this way. It doesn't really... It's not durable. So, a perfect example. I, and I can tell this story now because Kia is in another country and she can't get me until I get there. And then she'll probably hit me a bunch. But, you know, hi, Kia. Yeah, after we hug, you can hit me as much as you want, I promise. It, one of the ways people stay in the country is they want to... If they, if they get married to people who they wouldn't otherwise get married to and get a green card that way. Especially post 9-11, it's a whole thing. Um, and, and those are called green card marriages. And there are big penalties for them. So if you're thinking about doing it with a friend, I encourage you to do your research. There's a $60 DVD package you can buy from the government. It's hilarious. Kia asked me to marry her a couple times. I said no every time. Because to get caught would mean she would get deported forcefully and I would go to jail for like upwards of six years in some cases. That did not seem like a particularly great thing. And also for a whole bunch of other personal reasons. Like I love Kia, but you know. We're still great friends. Yeah, she might go, ah, oh, yeah, you refused me three times. <laughs> but on some level, that's a joke at, like, my expense. And it's fine. We're, like, it's not gonna... Nothing will break it. Nothing will break us apart at this point. That's what a real relationship looks like. Romantic or otherwise. You know, your friends 
should be able to take a hit from you and you should be able to take a hit from them and you're still friends afterwards. And that's really how Sashi and Army are. The reality is they will probably end up together at some point in their lives as adults or even as kids. But if they break up, they won't just not know each other anymore. That's not how real relationships and friendships work. And, you know, yes, we all have people we've met in a bar or met in college and were friends with for a while and then had terrible breakups and broke apart. And they're not in our lives anymore. That That's all true. But that, but like, those relationships are not as strong as the ones of, oh yeah, we dated for a while, but we thought we were better as friends. So it just kind of, that part of our relationship faded away. And those things seem weird and odd and uncomfortable from the outside, but to the, to the people who are, have relationships like that, they seem natural, they seem comforting, and they seem comforting for a reason, and that's because they are truly safe in a way that isn't true of, like, surface level, like, I met this girl at the bar, we dated for six months, and oops, I almost married a dumbass on the, on the female side. And you you get every indication that that's what Sashi and Army are to each other. That, like, their duo is them not having the, like, emotional awareness to know that, like, this person is, like, my forever person, most likely. And the show does a really good job of not leaning on that, of not, like, leaning so hard on that, that it's sickening, but also... When the chips are down, that's clearly what's happening. And then the end of the show happened. And the end of the show, I'm actually a cup of two minds at least uh, on. The end of the show basically sees that Sashi is like the reincar the reincarnation of like the omni of like the Grand Minister of Omnio Affairs, and he is like capable of all these super awesome power, including, and he does this eventually, rewinding time. And they rewind time in just such a way where Army and Sashi save Army's grandfather. Like, stop Army's grandfather from dying. And then it turns out that the deal with the hotel fell through. And now, like, the world is still changing around them, but they are not being separated. And in the course of the story, and by the way, spoiler alert, and this is why I really want to call spoiler alert, because it's a major story event. Um, and I've done a pretty good job of avoiding this. I did not tell you a whole lot about this show, actually. Um, you can go watch it. You, I forget where you can go find it, but you can definitely go find it probably on Blu-ray at this point. Um... You you find out that Army's grandfather isn't actually his grandfather. And his dad straight up be like, oh, you mean your grandpa? He's basically a fucking stranger. We keep in our, he's a weird old man we keep in our house. 
He's not related to us at all. Fucking at all. Your real grandfather is the character of Judas, who is um, who's the uh, progenitor of Abinobot, the person who designed and built Abinobashi, and the person who is known as um, Abinoseyu. And you get an ep- basically like a section of an episode or a whole episode that is his backstory, and it's like an ancient, it's ancient Omnio mystic, like Shinto nonsense essentially it's a nonsense love triangle in Shinto times and the reason that Sashi was born at all and but also the reason that Sashi's in the problem he's in right now is because Yudas this like weird dude with blue hair this essentially the <laughs> Yudas is very similar to um, Renshin in Eureka 7 AO in that he is like a parental figure who shows up, explains nothing, and has more important shit to do than deal with you. <laughs> and it sucked. Um, but Yudis and Yudis and Mune Mune or Mune um or Mune Imamiya like had Sashi's dad and then Sashi's mom Sashi's dad got married to Sashi's mom and or other way around and I'm not, they don't make that clear it doesn't really matter and eventually Sashi showed up and Army showed up and they became friends but the The long and short of it is it's something that Sashi's great-grandfather did. That Sashi's grandpa did. Fucked up the universe so bad that this could happen. And that the... And like I said before, this show starts and ends with... It's like focusing on the whims of adults who have so much control over these kids' lives. And and you get the sense that like the adults in Sashi's life aren't really considering him when they make choices, but they are making choices that let him adjust at his own pace. Whereas Army's parents with Army's parents clearly were not, and then by the end they are because Sashi has straight up taken reality by the horns and kicked it in the face. Metaphorically speaking, he spins the world backwards, basically, Superman style, and changes time flows and shit. And you like to believe that, like, this eliminated, this stopped Army from moving away, and this stopped her grandfather from dying as a result of her moving away, basically. And that they get to, like, they get they get their happily ever after. They get the rest of their... They get their time together, finally. And it's this big, sweet story. It, it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun 13-episode romp you could probably watch over a weekend. And... and 
it's it's an interesting reflection on not the value of like nerd shit but the value of people who like nerd shit and the kind of sentimentality they can have towards the world that the world just doesn't especially the modern world doesn't appreciate a whole lot the world doesn't appreciate sentimentality in a way that is pretty incredible like the there are an awful lot of people who live on two coasts who you know move for work constantly there are an awful lot of people who sacrifice a lot about their own personal lives in the name of work in the name of progress but very few people ask what that does, what the consequences are. This all, this whole show starts because some business executive decided that it was time to redevelop Abinoba, an, an area of Japan, without the people who live there's consent or say so. And they decided it, so they're bulldozing it. They get, they've Walton gave people large amounts, large amounts of money, but not enough money, and that's a key point. Not enough money, and those people were moved out, moved to worse places to live, but more convenient for everybody involved, except for the people who are moving, obviously. And then it was bulldozed. And the last and the last holdouts the the function the supposedly but very selfish and very juvenile functioning adult, the father figure in that in that particular scenario, got an offer from a hotel. And he's finally going to achieve his dream. And god damn if his entire family doesn't need to pay the price for his dream. And not only his family, but his daughter's friend, his daughter's best friend, somebody who his daughter has known since she was born. Someone who, like, at the entire town says, like, these kids grew up together. Just like all kids in this area grew up together. And... What is being what the town what the lively town is being turned into is this dark, lonely, industrial place that just doesn't offer that offers more substance that that offers more stuff but not more substance to everyone who would who would in in who would populate it. And yes, it will become localized and different and unique, but the, that doesn't need to happen at the expense of what was there. And so many people lose sight of all that. So many people move because it's convenient, move because it's the easiest thing. They, and then five years out, 
they're like, why did I move here? It's, I, I loved this old place. I loved that old place. And it's... The, that part of this show as a meditation on that is really interesting. I, and certainly aware of what happens in to in Japan. Aware and aware of like the industrialization and the erasure of what was in Japan. And um so another uh, another show I wanna kinda liken to this is a show called um Eccentric Family, which I've talked about before on this on this podcast. You can go find it in the feed. But in Eccentric Family, you follow this family of Tanukis, this really whole community of Tanukis. And it really expands out to, I think, ultimately be about three families. And you follow this, like, this these, like, community of Tanukis, this, like, extended community of mystical creatures, and how they live kind of around... The human population of this area. I forget the area, but it's another real... It takes place in another real um, part of Tokyo. A part of Japan, rather. And it feels like the... Almost like it could take place in, like, what Abinobashi became. It... So here's the continuum that I've developed in my head just now. Um, the... Tanukis from Pompoko are the same. T are the are the descendants are the forefathers of the Tanukis in eccentric family, and the city that was built in Pompoko is actually this the paving over and redevelopment of Abinobashi, and the redevelopment that. It's finished in Abinobashi and becomes the city in Eccentric Family. <laughs> Which sounds insane, but if you followed all that, if you know all those shows, you know all three of those shows, then you can probably see it. Like, you're probably, like, thinking you're trying to, like, no, that works. There's no holes there. That's fucked up. And this... This show ends up being kind of a love letter to the sentimentality and, like, the caring you have for your friends and your youth. And that, and that growing up doesn't mean letting go of people. Doesn't mean taking these, like, these, these postures that seem like they're the adult way to behave about things. But really, they're just callous. And so much of what people believe to be adult or adulting is callous. It is a kind of callousness and a kind of like rejection of things because they seem childish when really they're just fun. So uh, this is the last example I'm going to give and then I'm probably going to sign off. Um, somebody we work with, I'm not going to dock him um, by giving you his name. It's, Found out that one of our clients, a pretty big client actually, had a had the great hobby of building Lego kits, of being a Le of being what you would call a Lego adult. And he was just like disgusted. He's like, "Why do people? Have, why do like people have to do that man child shit?" 
And like I broke him like listen, I you shouldn't talk. I you work with somebody who talks about anime on the internet once to twice a week. And he was like, That's your business. Yeah. But like why are we why are we pretending that like just because it's fun it has to be childish? Or just because it's childish, adults can't have fun with it. People have we live in a world where people make professional grade money playing video games for a living. We live in a world where, you know, you can write about anything and be paid for it. I've been paid for writing about anime and the Oscars, for God's sakes. You know, just do what you love. If you can, if you can't, do it in your free time when nobody can stop you. And when people, just as soon as people are, devalue your, you because you like those things, that's the, that's the first moment when they are setting themselves up to be surprised at what you bring to the table because you love those things. I am good at my job because of the things I love outside of my job. Just as you probably are good at your job for the same reasons. I, and this show kind of is making a case for like, hey, like, the weird nerd kid has value in his sentimentality towards, like, the, the latest Gundam or, you know, model kits of trains or whatever because if he's capable of loving something like that that much then he's capable of loving the world that created that that much and that's good good news our world and that is kind of what I took away uh, from that article about the guy who married Hatsune Miku as well it He's not rejecting adulthood. He's not choosing... He's not necessarily choosing fantasy. He's choosing his own version of reality that lets him get what he wants out of the world. And if that's choosing to marry a fictional character, fuck it. Let people do it. You know... As long as it's not hurting another human, go for it. I, you know, it's so... There are so few... There, there are so many opportunities to not take true joy in things in life. If you have the opportunity to take true childlike joy and wonder in things... Take the opportunity. You know, fall in love with a cartoon. Fall in love with a comic book. You know, enjoy things. Life is too short not to. You know, tell people that you love them. Tell people that you care for them. Tell people your real feeling. If you think that somebody's hiding their feelings, ask them what their feelings are. And that's really what this show is about. It's about valuing that and valuing, like, your relationships that you form early. 
and and all, about a lot of things. It's about adolescence, blah 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 blah. The 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 tycoon of it all, the Shinji of it all. It's a Gainax show. It's supposed to be about all those things. Um, but on that note, if you like this episode, new episodes of Lunchbox Radio come out every Thursday and every other Sunday. Um, the Sunday editions that come out every other Sunday are more metatextual. They're more about like the like the industry, fandom things I'm thinking about in relation to anime and fandom. Um, the that kind of stuff. Third day episodes are about stuff like about specific shows like Abanabashi Shopping Arcade. Occasionally I will dip into the live action shows or films like say um something like Tokyo Vice. I if I go see everything everywhere all at once, I will probably talk about that. Um for along the same reasons. But on that note I have been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and we'll talk to you on next Thursday. She won't